This is the Non-Microwave Truth, a podcast that challenges culture's truth and perspective. And I am C.L. Whiteside. Thanks for joining me today. It's a blessing to have you. You could be doing a lot of different things. You could be listening to a lot of different messages or music, but you chose to tune in today, and that's a blessing. Praise the Lord. Special thanks to the people that have written reviews. Hit the five star. And I'm not just saying that because you help my ego feel better or become bigger. But more importantly, it allows more people to hear God's word because a lot of people base stuff off reviews and if it's got a five star or not. So thank you for that. Let's get into our first world problem question today. Ooh, I got hit with this in the group chat the other day. Y'all, how many of y'all got group chats? But yeah, I got hit with this question in the group chat. It said, would you pick a trillion dollars? Or a 10-minute conversation with Jesus, with Yeshua. What are you picking? Don't lie. What you picking? And my guy gave a super funny response. He was like, I'll talk to Jesus when I'm dead. And what was funny, too, is the picture that accompanied this question had another person's response. And their response was, I'm not worthy to be in the presence of the Lord. Run me that one trillion dollars. Thank you very much. And just in case you didn't know, a trillion is more than a billion and a billion is worth more than a million. A trillion is like you could buy the whole state type stuff. Like it's a lot of money. You could buy a new arm for sure. You could buy a new leg. You could buy a new heart. Like that's 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 so much money. You could just do some stupid, crazy stuff. Now, this question got posed to me when I was chilling with two of my friends and one of them was like, well, would I have time to prep for my 10 minute conversation with Jesus? And we like, sure, you can prep. And then on the other hand, I had someone in my group chat who was like, ain't the Bible the word of God? I take my trilly and read the Bible at dinner every night. And then I just thought about like, what if someone has been asking for a breakthrough or asking for money? Like, what if God was actually giving them a breakthrough or I thought about like, what if this actually was a test from the devil? And I just started thinking about when the parable was told in Luke chapter 12, verse 16 and 21. And that was a dude who was like, had a big time harvest. And he's like, you know what I'm going to do with this money? What I'm going to do with this extra grain? I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to eat and drink and be merry, boy. I'm about to just be chilling. And then God is like, you fool, you're going to die tonight. And I just thought about like, if I took the trillion, God would probably be like, yeah, little man, it's time for you to come to heaven. And I wouldn't even get to experience it. But that 10 minutes, like, I think I would pick the 10 minutes. I feel like I could learn so much and it'd be so dope to get that knowledge and that wisdom and to understand my purpose better. Plus, I might act a fool with a trillion. But Matthew 6 verse 33 just keeps popping up in my head. Seek the kingdom of God first. But what would you pick and why? What do you think a Christian should pick? What do you think you should pick for someone who did not know Jesus? They didn't know Jesus as their savior and you got to pick. What do you think would be best for them? I mean, even even if they were a Christian, what would you pick for them? Like, what do you think is best for someone to pick? And you got to pick for them because some of your family and friends would be so heated if you didn't pick that trillion. And, you know, some of your family and friends, they might be heated if you didn't pick the 10 minute conversation with Jesus. But let me know what you think. I would love to hear from you on Instagram or Twitter. Ask this to your family and friends and see what they say. It's a great discussion. 
So let me recap it again. What would you pick for yourself? Would you pick a trillion or would you pick a 10 minute conversation with Jesus? And then if you had the power to pick for someone else, what would you pick for that person? And would your answer depend on if that person is a Christian or not? Remember, my handle is Champion Life 23, and this is our first world problem. It is dinner time. The title of our episode today is Guilt's Grasp. And I just want you to think about this. Is there anything that you are feeling guilty about? Anything that you are feeling guilty about. It could be a past sexual sin. Maybe you used to be sweet and promiscuous and you was giving up the cookie from the cookie jar too much. Or it could have even been one time. Or you didn't keep your dipper in your zipper. Or do you suck at taking care of your body? Maybe you picked up the freshman 15. Or you just getting old and picking up pounds is so easy now. It's like you eat one meal and you pick up five pounds. You work out for a week and you still pick up a pound. Like, what in the world is going on? Are you guilty because it may be someone that you hurt dear to you? Do you feel guilty because something you did was so stupid and embarrassing and it's just dumb and you just hope nobody finds out about it? Do you feel guilty about letting someone down? Or maybe there's a life-changing sin and mistake that you're still dealing with the consequences to this day. Guilt is one of those weird things because guilt can be dehabilitating and like make you depressed. Like you just want to quit. You just want to sleep. And a lot of times it's like we want to sleep because we hope we wake up and it was just a dream. And it can make you just want to be isolated and all alone and all by yourself. Guilt can make you want to beat yourself up because we tell ourselves at times that if we punish ourselves, then that will pay the debt off. But nah, it it doesn't really work like that. Or some of us are like, you know what? I just have to do so much good. I just have to work really, really hard. And we almost get to the point where we're trying to work ourselves to death and we're trying to be good on our own. Some of us, we want to master pain. Like, I need a drink. Where's the Henny? Where's my glass of wine? Or we want to smoke, roll up a blunt. We want to numb it however we possibly can. And sometimes when we feel guilt, we try to make it lesser than what it actually was. So we lie to ourselves or we blame others. And we look at it like, if the glove don't fit, you must have quit. It wasn't me. It was you. It was their fault. It was her fault. It was his fault. We become defensive. We make excuses. Now, the question I have for you is, can guilt... The feeling of guilt ever be a positive thing. And I say the only way that it can be positive is that it's there to remind us that we need a savior. But as Christians, we can't be consumed by it. It can't have a grasp on us that's affecting the way that we move, even if it's really, really small. Because guilt can it can have a big grasp on you, too, that can choke any one of us out like a UFC champion or It can have us trying to hide a ticking time bomb in our own closets. So today on this episode of Guilt's Grasp, we're going to look at how the world usually handles guilt and then how we should handle it as Christians. And how we respond to guilt is everything. 
And just think about it. Guilt is like that gut punching, that sick feeling, that realization of like, this, this isn't right. This ain't right. And believe it or not, you don't even have to know God's word like that to feel guilty because every single human being has a conscience. Something I have to point out, though, is our conscience could get warped. And you best believe we could not trust our culture to tell us what is right and wrong all the time. But our conscience has the law written on it. Or should I say it the other way? The, the law is written on our hearts, which transforms or goes to our conscience. Romans 2 verse 15 tells us they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences are bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. Now, can you think about the last time that you felt guilty or that your conscience kicked in and was like, yeah, you suck or yeah, you were wrong or you read God's word and then all of a sudden you like, dang, this is man. I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. But I can just feel it. I can feel it in the pit of my stomach. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It could be the Holy Spirit convicting you. But bad responses to our guilt are when we try to hide or we try to blame someone else or we try to fix it by like working our way back to goodness or we just flat out lie to ourselves. The key is to own it, to heal and to repent. Now, the key to healing, though, is having people love you, having people encourage you and having people remind you of God's grace. And we are definitely going to talk about that later. Now, we're going to look at three different situations in the Bible where people's guilt had a hold on them. And how did they respond? The first set of people we need to look at or are going to look at are Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, first people in the world. They were guilty and then guilt had a grasp on them. Genesis chapter three, I'll just start off from there. Genesis chapter three, verse seven. It says, then the eyes of both of them were open. This is after they ate the fruit from the forbidden tree and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hear from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Bruh, Adam, you really think you can hide from God? That's like when you playing with a little kid, they like three or four years old and you say, all right, go hide. And they pick the most obvious hiding spot and they might close their eyes or cover their face. And it's like, dude, I still see you. Like, that was a horrible hiding spot. That's kind of how I picture Adam and Eve in this situation. And the first thing I got to point out is how much guilt jacks up our view of God. God went from being their homie who talked to them and walked in the garden to like a scary guy or somebody they were afraid of. All of a sudden, they knew what embarrassment and shame were. And think about this. God didn't change. They change. Guilt makes us embarrassed. It makes us shameful and it puts fear in us that God doesn't love us or want anything to do with us. And that's a whole lie. But let's look at how God responds. He says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? 
Then Adam responds, uh, see what had happened was, you know what? The woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. It's the woman that you put here. And I just, just think about that. Guilt makes blessings look like curses. I say that again. Guilt makes blessings look like curses. Think about that. Eve was created for Adam to be a helper for him and to keep him from being alone and isolated and understand companionship. But all of a sudden, this blessing. He was talking about it like it was a curse. And, you know, guilt has a grasp on you when all of a sudden something that was a blessing is a curse in your mind. Like she didn't jam the food into Adam's mouth. She didn't overpower him and force it down his throat. This is the same way you and me are at times, though. We blame and point the finger because we don't only want to be convicted of the crime or we think that that's going to change our sentence and make it less like we're in court or something. Continuing on reading, though, it says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? Listen to how Eve responds. She says, It's the serpent. Yeah, the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate it. Do you see the grass that guilt had on Adam and Eve? We see hiding. We see blaming. And I'm guessing shame and embarrassment have to be accompanied with this with these feelings as well. Because it was like you were naked and it was cool before, but now you want to put some clothes on? Very little ownership was taken. They act like God couldn't forgive them. And they acted like blaming someone else was going to take the guilt off of them. But that's not how it works. Or as though they could hide their sin from God. Like we can hide a lot of stuff from people. And that's what we do in our world. We try to hide the jankiness. We try to hide the bad stuff that we do. And because other people can't point it out or don't know exactly and we semi get away with it, we think we're really getting away with it. But we're not. And this is why it really gets us sometimes. It has a grasp on it because it just eats away at us. But best believe it doesn't have to be like this because the short and sweet, simple answer is Jesus paid the debt. So we're all good. Now I'm going to hammer that later, but I want to get into the next two situations, which we'll tackle together. And we have to look at Judas's guilt and Peter's guilt. Now, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He gave into that flesh. He wanted that money. And if you're not familiar with this, Judas betrayed Jesus to die, like to be hung on a cross. And he betrayed him with a kiss to identify, hey, this is the one that you're supposed to take. This is in Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 to 50, if you want to check it out. You talk about stabbing somebody in the back. That was Judas. Now, let's look at Peter. Jesus told Peter, Peter, you are going to disown me and deny me three times. And Peter's like, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. And you know what? Later on in that chapter, he disowned Jesus three times. And when he did, the Lord looks at him and then he hears, Peter hears the rooster go cock-a-doodle-doo. And Jesus told him that the rooster was going to crow and this was going to happen. And then I'm guessing he had to have that sick gut punch feeling of guilt. And then Peter left the courtyard and wept 
bitterly. Now, with both these disciples, both these situations, they both have guilt, grass, trying to choke the life out of them. Two different responses, though. Some of us try to work so hard and try to be so good because we think we can earn our goodness. And then we will erase all the bad stuff we've done. Like, I just need to do more good than bad, and I'm okay. But how do you know if you've done enough? Or what if your bad is worth like a negative a million? Or if you do a couple of those, you can't make it up then. But the fact of the matter is, none of us can make it up regardless, even though we might try so hard to be so good. And this is the thought process that appears that to be running through Judas's mind. And we're going to read verse three. It says, when Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Now, think about that. Condemned. I, I When I read that, I was like, did this not go the way that Judas thought it was going to go? Like, did he think Jesus was just going to pop out of the situation? Or, you know, when they tried to kill Jesus before, he just walked through the crowd. Did he think this was going to go like that? Because sometimes we know we're doing something janky and this is how we can relate. And we guess the results. But when the results don't go how we expect it, we get put in the headlock by guilt's grass. And we double down and we try to fix it ourselves too often. That's when we start having like negative self-talk. And we almost like abuse ourselves verbally. I'm so stupid. I'm an idiot. Sometimes that abuse can actually be physical with ourselves. Sometimes we try to punish ourselves by making sure we don't have any type of enjoyments or, or pleasures in life. And like isolate ourselves. But that's not the way either. Verse four says, this is Judas speaking. He says, I have sinned for I have betrayed innocent blood. The chief priests they respond so gangster. They say, what is that to us? That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went and hanged himself. And I think a lot of times when Judas gets brought up, we literally forget. We forget that Judas returned the money. People forget that Judas felt horrible. Judas admitted he was wrong. But the sad thing is this. The sad thing is that Judas thought that he could make it right by returning the money. And that that was going to erase his debt. And he thought they were going to respond like, okay, we won't kill him anymore. Or they'll say like, okay, it's not your fault, Judas. He missed the point. He missed that he couldn't make it right but that Jesus was going to make it right. He didn't have the faith that he could personally be forgiven by Christ, even though he was. And on this episode of Guilt's Grass, we have to look at Peter. Peter really didn't do anything. He definitely didn't do anything like Judas. He went off and he cried. This seems to show that Peter knew he had been wrong when he cried, though. He knew that he was broken. He knew that he needed healing. And that he could be healed through Christ. Because if you look at both, I would have to guess that both of them had a period of time where they felt unforgiving. They felt like they couldn't be forgiven. And that's where guilt just chokes the life out of us. That's where we have to say, you know what? My feelings aren't facts. And regardless, I have to look at the cross. 
I have to look at the cross and not look at myself. Judas kept looking at himself to try to fix the problem. That's something that all of us are guilty of, especially when we get in these ruts of feeling guilty. I got this from Martin Luther because like our hearts would tell us that God hates us and God is angry with us and God doesn't care about us. But when you look at the word, it makes it very clear that the mercy of the Lord is over all of us who believe. And the word doesn't lie and the Holy Spirit doesn't lie either. But our feelings, they lie. It's not like they're trying to, but they don't tell the truth all the time. Also, the difference with Peter is Peter went and was around people, people that could remind him of Jesus's love, remind him about what Jesus is about. And if you're wondering why I said Peter was around people or how I know that is because when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she saw that Jesus body wasn't there, she ran to tell the disciples and the disciples were together. And then Peter takes off and he runs to the tomb. Something else to point out, Peter repented, meaning he confessed his sin and he had faith that Jesus paid for his sin debt in full. And you better believe the devil was lying to him like, Jesus doesn't forgive you. You suck. Peter, you're going to have to do a lot to make it right with him. You did a very bad thing. And this is what he doesn't want you to know. This is what our culture doesn't want to tell you. Guilt's grass doesn't have power over us Christians, because even though we have all been guilty of sinning, our debt is paid. God's forgiveness is complete. Think about that. Think about that. Jesus Christ won forgiveness for all sins by his holy life and sacrificial death. Sins of murder, sexual sins, lying sins, stealing sins, hurting other type of sins. Any sin that you can name, pay for it debt free the man rose from the dead after suffering hell for us and that was the full payment for sin now through his word and through his sacraments he tells us i love you i forgive you the microwave truth and the devil's lies are god doesn't really forgive you you still have to work some off you have to be perfect now look at the apostle peter's response though it wasn't to try and earn God's forgiveness. His response was a thankful, appreciative, just amazed at God's love type of response. Because Peter knew this. Peter knew that God's gracious forgiveness of our sins is free. And that's what leads us to live a life that is pleasing to God. Guilt's grasp tries to tell us that all of us still owe. But that's a lie. Jesus said, now, uh, your record says perfect, not guilty. You are forgiven. You are not bound by guilt's grasp. And even if you don't feel it, it is a fact that you are forgiven. And this is the non-microwave truth. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Guilt's Grasp. Peace punch, Captain Crunch. Say no to drugs and yes to Jesus. I'm out.